0: Welcome back to another episode of Sports Stalgia, where today we're going to dive back into the Jordan documentary series as it came to its conclusion on Sunday. And I think it's safe to say, because there are still no sports on, we're all pretty sad about that. Uh, Episodes 9 and 10 came out uh, on Sunday. We're a little late to this party, but you know, it's okay. Um, So if you haven't watched them, keep in mind we're going to spoil them, although it's a documentary, so you can also just Google what happened. Anyway, I'm joined by my, my good pal, James, who was back from the last breakdown. We've got a couple topics we want to talk about. James, how you been?
1: Uh, I'm doing great. Great to be here in the city of Chicago. Might might venture up to Jordan's old house. See the famous 23-8. Uh, congrats to him for winning his sixth championship.
0: <laughs> in in three weeks?
1: In three, yep, three weeks. Can't Let's see LeBron do that. He can't. <laughs> Poor LeBron.
0: So the first thing I want to bring up is something I've just discovered on Twitter before we dive into more serious topics. So there is a scene in the last dance where they're driving on a bus, I think to Utah and they're pulling up and uh, there's a clip of Michael Jordan just kind of like jamming in the back of the bus and he's listening to headphones. Um, and he he tells them, I think, I forget who it is. Kenny Loggins. Is that what he says?
1: Uh, that sounds right. I'm I not. Think, I think
0: he's listening. He says it's some new music that hasn't been released yet, but he of course gets it first. <laughs> and this is before the 98 championship. So I found a Twitter account. I'm going to plug it in the podcast called Michael Jordan jamming out. And it's at Jordan underscore jamming. And the description or the um, bio is what was MJ really listening to? <laughs> and it just all the account tweets is the clip of him jamming out in the bus but with different music dubbed over it so there's stronger by kanye west we've got on here wannabe by the spice girls so it's it's it covers every genre
1: yeah that that account is great i saw one of those tweets i saw the one the uh the nba on nbc the like theme song uh, saw that one which phenomenal. Account. That is
0: that is phenomenal. I like that. So yeah, this is this has been I guess a thing for a while, but I've just discovered it on Twitter. Um so go follow that if you haven't already. I think that's funny. Yeah. Uh, and I guess you can you can email them, they have an email in the bio too. You can email them songs that they'll put to the thing, I think.
1: Also great, great meme that came out of that bus ride was when Jordan took the headphones off and gave the kind of what-the-heck look. That was a good meme. Anyway.
0: Anyway, um, so I've got a few things that I want to cover just generally about the last episodes, 9 and 10. Basically, to give a summary, it's it was just kind of, you know, how this documentary was laid out was they covered the entire 98 or a 97-98 season from episode 1 to episode 10 and then they would flash back and then go forward in time from there it's a bit confusing if you like haven't watched it i think it's pretty easy to like understand when you do watch it but they go over the entire jordan history so basically this was these last two episodes where i think just about the 97 and the 98 championships
1: yeah uh, i think they I think they did a good job with that. It was pretty easy to follow. Yeah. You really couldn't miss a minute
0: yeah, yeah I thought they did they did fine with the chronology, but the first thing I want to talk to you about James, just because you brought this up um during our last episode, and we've had we've had discussions you know about how this this the team, the Bulls team was run by Jerry Krauss and Jerry Reinsdorf. And I know you differ on the opinion of a lot of people because I think a lot of people sort of blame Krauss for the the downfall that was to come of the team. But before i before I turn it over to you, I just want to give my take really quick. From what I saw, um, in the last episode, where it kind of seemed like everybody besides Michael Jordan, and that's only really, I think, because of how competitive of a guy Michael Jordan is, everybody else, I think, kind of understood that pretty much regardless of what either Krauss or Reinsdorf were gonna do, Krauss is the GM and Reinsdorf's the owner of the Bulls for the record. Um, I think regardless of what either one of them was gonna like could have tried to do to bring it back for another year um, and to keep the, you know, the run going. I think everyone kind of knew it was going to come to an end and I think that's for me at least taken some of the negativity towards Krauss in particular away just because of how that sort of devolved.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely interesting. You know, it's it's kind of like politics. Everyone picks their side and there's majority, minority, winners and losers. I think overall Jerry Krauss definitely a loser of the whole 10 episodes. But episode 10 in particular, I think it was kind of a lot easier to see how hard it would have been regardless. One thing they mentioned is obviously how Krause had came out and said this will be Phil's last year as the coach of the Bulls in at the start of the uh, 97-98 season, kind of effectively smashing all hopes that you could have of bringing Phil back. I I will agree that that was a big mistake on Krause's part. I think you just shouldn't come out and say that regardless. And kind of to Jordan's point where he said, you know, why don't you offer these guys one-year contracts, say let's try to come back and win seven. I think the first, the first domino to fall is definitely going to be Phil Jackson. If you can't bring Phil back, then obviously nothing's going to happen. Then the next guy to go after would probably be Jordan. Maybe maybe Pippen. But I think Pippen's the, the one you're going to have to focus the most time and effort towards because if Pippen doesn't come back, Jordan doesn't come back, period.
0: If Phil doesn't come back, Jordan doesn't come back.
1: Yeah, and I think Jordan doesn't want to – He Jordan will say, oh, because Phil this, Phil that, just because they had already said, Kraus announced, Phil wasn't coming back. I also don't think Jordan comes back to play without Pippen. And I think it's some something you have to get everyone on the same page for. It would just be tricky to do, especially because Pippen wanted to get paid. So I don't know if he would have necessarily agreed to come back for that one year. Yeah,
0: um, I think I think those those three were like the the big three that you had to talk about because I think all of the other supporting members of the the Bulls would have you know been fine with running it back another year and winning another championship. It was the fact that Pippen was underpaid his entire time with the Bulls, and you know Phil Jackson. You know when you're told as a coach. You can go 82 and 0, but you're not coming back. Like that that resonates with a guy. He's not gonna wanna, you know, he doesn't want to subject himself under management that clearly doesn't, you know, want him there anymore, even if he does win championships. But honestly, I don't I don't really blame, you know, Kraus for laying down the hammer at the beginning of the season because even though the results on the court I think turned turned the idea of oh they can come run it running or they can come back and run it back because they're clearly still capable of winning championships i think it created that narrative i think kraus taking a firm stance on it in terms of settling the players and the coaching staff's understanding of what was going to happen after the season was over allowed them i think to focus on business on the court in the knowledge that this was their last dance
1: for sure i also think you know jordan says oh i would have 100% came back if you know i was offered or a fill were back or whatever else i just think i find that hard to believe considering that he had been signing one year contracts up to that point for the last what 3 years mm-hmm. which kind of kind of is a signal that okay this guy's worn out and at some point he's just going to want to walk away and i think you know, he could just point to the fact that we couldn't get a deal done and I'm going to walk away instead of, you know, locking up the couple of years and being locked into that. I think Jordan kind of wanted the the freedom to be able to step away anytime because, let's be honest, he, he proved a lot and even after five years didn't really need to go out and prove that sixth ring. But just a testament to how good he was at 35 to be able to go out beat the jazz in six with that shot that's actually a great
0: segue into something i wanted to another debate that um that kind of came up after the documentary was over i was watching um scott van pelt sunday night right after the documentary and one of the first things they talked about was jordan's shot in game six over byron russell yes now i i have a pretty firm stance on this the quest the shot in question is of course jordan has the ball in the left wing there's about 10 ish seconds left he does a very nice crossover step back move on russell sends him to the floor and hits the shot to win the finals in game six now mm-hmm. there is an issue that some people take arguing that michael jordan pushed byron russell as he was crossing you know, from his left to his right hand before he pulled the ball back and took the, sh- took the jumper. So I, I want to ask you, first of all, do you think it was a push-off? Do you think it was a good no-call? Do you think there was no call to make? You know, any, what say
1: you, I guess? Anyone who says that there is a push-off is a clown. <sighs> if you have ever tried to guard someone in any kind of basketball, If you're just playing pickup at the park with your friends and somebody hits you with a mean crossover or, you know, your momentum is taking you one way to try to guard the guy driving and all of a sudden he just hits you with a crossover and you're just trying to cut back, the way your momentum is shifting, there's just no way. There's no way. Plus, you have to remember, Byron Russell isn't like – He's a professional athlete who is – he's not a skinny, scrawny guy. It's not – you're not just going to be able to flick him over. Like, he's definitely not going to go down without a fight, especially in that era. The whole flopping thing I don't think was a huge issue at that time. I mean, obviously I wasn't around at that time, but I don't think it was a big issue. What uh? What are your thoughts on that?
0: So I agree with you. I don't think it was a push off at all. Um, I think when you're when you're in that motion, especially in a situation like that, when you're like you said, crossing somebody up, players, guards especially, do this all the time in the NBA. They have arm bars out, and you know they're they're using the free hand that they have, not dribbling the basketball to create a little separation and i don't even think jordan even did that byron russell was at this point completely turned around and already going to the ground when michael jordan had his hand up and i i will admit put his hand on his body i just don't see how like you said he changed byron russell's momentum enough to warrant a foul so at worst for me i give it a good no call but i think it was it was not it was just a situation where it was not a foul. He crossed Byron Russell up and hit a jumper. I'll agree with that. Um, I mean, if there's no other thoughts on the on the Byron Russell jumper, I do want to turn to another jumper and another kind of storyline that I really liked. Um, that wasn't actually about Michael. Well, it was about Michael Jordan, but it wasn't told by Michael Jordan. Um, and that was the whole ordeal with Reggie Miller. Oh, um, this this documentary I think gave me a lot more respect for the player and the competitor that Reggie Miller was because, I mean, once again, it was a situation where it added to the list. People who talked to Jordan, I see, um, kind of funny videos now where it's like, you know, I told Jordan this, like, it's like a a kind of a joke. Like someone pretends to say something to Jordan then Michael Jordan drops, you know, 50 on them. That seems to just be the continued narrative. But Reggie Miller, I mean, you talk about hitting a clutch jumper you know, getting separation on Michael Jordan and just pulling up from a three with .6 left and drilling it
1: to, what was it, send it to overtime in that Eastern Conference Finals? No, I believe that was to win the game because they had the the opportunity to go down and score and Jordan's shot just spun out, unfortunately. That's right. He hit it with .4 left and everybody
0: everybody in the in the building except for i think larry bird who was the lakers coach there the pacers coach that's right um was like michael jordan's definitely going to hit a shot and he barely missed
1: classic larry bird yeah
0: um but i i really i really liked a lot of reggie miller's interviews i thought the documentary made him look really good in terms of you know who he was as a competitor he wasn't afraid to back down and his jumper was just i mean super nice so yeah, I think it it shows how kind of I feel like underrated in the discussion of great players that Reggie Miller, you know, is. He was he was very very good in his
1: time. Oh, definitely. That team was very good too. Even even Reggie said that, you know, he thought his team was better, and you know, the other team just happened to have Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. It's once again a testament to how good Jordan was. Oh, definitely.
0: Um. So a couple other things. I just want to throw that in there. Uh, Reggie Miller's a point guard, obviously. And I brought this, I raised this take with you um, the other day. And I will, I had a friend, I have a friend. I will, he will remain nameless for this section because of how, in my opinion, you know, a bit crazy this take is. Uh, There's another point guard by the name of John Stockton, who Michael Jordan, of course, matches up with twice in his last two championships. He was a very good point guard. I received a take the other day that John Stockton is the second greatest point guard of all time. Now James I want I want to I want to hear what you think about that because I have my own thoughts about that that I can give, but what do you think about the John Stockton is the
1: second greatest point guard of all time? You know, a lot of times these days you hear the debate about who's you know the top two point guards and the number one name that you hear consistently is Magic Johnson who you know pretty much everyone has in first or second place but the other name just is not John Stockton it's Steph Curry mm-hmm. who is in my opinion the point guard that I would probably choose to have on my team of greatest point guards and that's not a knock against magic at all. I I do think magic's the greatest point guard of all time. I think Curry's a a player who I would slot on my team discussion for another time, but no, I just, that is an egregiously hot take. Mm -hmm. Boiling. Yeah. uh, I just took the Liberty of looking up a list of who
0: bleacher report thought the greatest point guards were of all time. I didn't agree with the list entirely, but. I would rank Stephen Curry above John Stockton. Um, obviously Magic Johnson. But even guys like Oscar Robertson and Jerry West, both of them I think I had above John Stockton. There's other names you could definitely argue for. But yeah, I think I think just thinking about that and how it tie I do I do, you know, I I loved John Stockton like or I didn't love him in terms of I've never seen him play, but You know, I like John Stockton in terms of what I saw from him in the documentary and what I know his stats to be in the player that he was. He's a great, great point guard. Um, Definitely, you know, deserved a championship, just kind of got unlucky. But uh, I think in the realm of greatest point guards of all time, he does not sit at number two for me. I think,
1: yeah. Not at all. He he's averaging like Ben he's averaging 6 man of the year points per game numbers. Like obviously greatest passer of all time. I think he has the steals record by a stupid wide margin as well. But, you know, greatest point guard of all time is a completely different story. Yeah, he was a great player and he had he was
0: serviceable to a team that would not have been um, you know, nearly as good and functional if he had not played the way he did because he was definitely a very selfless player and a a guy who knew how to get the best of his other teammates, which makes him an asset on almost any team, but as a pure point guard. I just wanted to put that out there because I think it ties in with the Jordan documentary. I think we saw that a lot in the Jordan documentary. He was willing to – he wasn't scared of Jordan. He wasn't worried about, you know, backing down or anything like that. He was going to fight, and he did a pretty good job of that.
1: I'd even throw a name like Russell Westbrook – in over John Stock. Yeah, well, we can talk about that at a different really? time. I don't know about that. I've uh, I'm prepared for that one,
0: but we'll have we'll have that debate. There's we've got some we've got a plan in the works to have some best of all time positionally and making teams and stuff, but we want sure. to get some other guys on for that cuz we've got some we've got a wide range of opinions in terms of experts, experts that we can use. I'm doing air quotes with experts that we can
1: Portstall. help us with that. Sports range of experts ranges from Celtics fans to Bucks to Thunder to Bulls fans. We've got we've got everyone. Houston, Houston, uh, Mavericks, Mavericks, yeah, enough Luka Doncic for me. <laughs> so
0: I guess moving on to, I mean, James, did you have any other topics? I've got I've got a couple like a couple more. So
1: I I've got a couple for you too. Okay. So if we want to stay with the uh, the Stockton Utah theme, yes. How about that? I believe it was Game Four of the 1998 Finals, where we saw probably the worst or best NBA Finals performance ever, depending on what team you're from. Maybe if you're a jazz fan that is the worst NBA Finals or one of the worst NBA games ever think that ranks within the top 10 lowest scoring modern era games and to an NBA team overall and you know Chicago Bulls came out with a 40 plus point win. Yeah, to clarify, you're talking about game four, which was when the Bulls beat the Jazz 96 to 54, right? Yes. Jeez. Yeah. That, for me, was probably one of the biggest things they could have talked about, considering they were focusing on that specific year. And they just said, you know, every game was close except game four and showed a couple highlights and then showed the score and then kind of moved on that kind of disappointed me considering how just absolutely absurd that stat line would be like, you don't even see the 73 and nine warriors, the KD warriors beating teams like that. Honestly, I don't disagree.
0: I don't disagree with you. Um, And I think that game could, I'm sure have some sort of 30 for 30 short, you know, buried within it itself. But I think the the narrative of the finals, how it ended up turning out, because obviously the, the Bulls then that gave them a 3-1 lead, correct? Because they could then win it in five in Chicago, but they lost, and then it went back to Utah. They botched game five. They did. They botched game five, and that's where I think that's the reason why I don't think that game got a lot of um, – you know, coverage in the documentary, because I think if the Bulls win game five, the narrative then is for, you know, games one and two, it was close. And then three, four and five, the Bulls had that dominant play. And then I think that's where you talk about more of game four. I think it's a it's actually, I think, a testament to the jazz. The fact that you can get thrashed, like you said, by 40 plus points, you only put up 54 in an NBA game there have been multiple players that have scored over 54 points by themselves and you as a team in the finals, you know, didn't do that. I think it's more of a Testament to the jazz, to be honest, in terms of how resilient they were to then come back in a do or die situation away from home to win and keep the series alive. And I think that's where then the documentary spun it back toward Jordan Now Jordan in Game 6 has to say, well, this team's not backing down without a a real fight, and then that's why Game 6 mattered a lot more. But I do agree with you. It's it's, it's pretty insane if you think about it. The fact that the Jazz were – I mean, you could argue a better overall team at that time. Obviously, they didn't have Michael Jordan, but they were in the finals. They were clearly one of the top two teams in the NBA and got – yeah, they got 54. They got a college score. I think it was – I think it was Carl Malone who said they looked like a JV2 team or whatever.
1: Yeah, and Carl, Carl Malone was the only bright spot that game, too. He shot shot well, had 20 or so points. And every, outside of Malone, the team was just atrocious. But, yeah, that's that's a score that you might see from Virginia in two <laughs> abs, two abs Dude, of play. Never yeah. doubt Tony Bennett scoring as little as he possibly can. Hammer the under on Tony Bennett, something like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that. I'll agree with you that uh, it's definitely tough to come back from a game like that to go into an elimination game on the road and come out and win. Yeah. I think that might actually be more on the Bulls for just kind of overlooking that game and having to say, well, Crud, we really botched that. All right, let's just go close it out. Or yeah, might- thinking about it, I mean,
0: you – you mentioned overlooking. That was the narrative, actually, I think, the documentary more painted because they were like, you know, game five was supposed to be a coronation. We won our sixth title in eight years. Um, let's get this in Chicago and go home. But then, you know, no one –
1: they didn't show up. Yeah, you, you, you have to come to play if you want to win a game in the NBA Finals, which the, the Jazz clearly displayed in game four. Yeah, and, uh, The Bulls kind of showed that in game five, too. I agree. It was, a, it was a battle of grit in the in the 98 finals, I
0: suppose. So what else do you have? Because I have two other topics that I think we could look into before uh, so wrap it up, But if you've got more.
1: I've got another one, but since we just did one of mine, let's jump to one of yours.
0: Okay, well, I am going to switch it up a little bit in terms of uh, chronology. That's the word I'm looking for. I want to talk about sort of a conspiracy theory, because a conspiracy theory is freaking great. They're, they're very funny. Um, I'm going to throw it back to the 97 NBA finals. Go ahead. No. Oh yeah. So I think we need to talk about the flu game, which I am no longer ever calling the flu game ever again, because I guess people knew about this and maybe I'm just not cultured. I had no freaking clue that he got sick because of uh, pizza that was, and the conspiracy theory is that it was supposedly poisoned because it was his trainer that they were interviewing, and they were like, "The trainer was like, the, the pizza comes, and there's about five guys that pull up with the pizza, and give it." We're looking around. Yeah, Mike. My, my problem is, how how on earth do you not do you not like n- not communicate with the pizza people that this is Michael Jordan? Like, how did they
1: find out that they were delivering the pizza to Michael Jordan? Well, so obviously nobody knows what happened truly we have we have the story Jordan and his trainer said and whatever else my assumption from what I you know could gather from this is that this was the only place open in Park City which was where they were staying at the time Phil had the team stay in Park City to kind of sort of avoid this whole nonsense yeah. the thing that would probably happen inside of Salt Lake City and There's one place, uh, I believe it was Devenza's, something like that. Somebody went back, some Park City locals or whatever to, yeah, Devenza's, kind of said that that would probably be the only place that would be open late and like operational at that specific time. I think it was just a case of the workers knew they're the only place open And they were right around the corner from the team hotel, which was the Marriott, that it's kind of late. I forgot what time they said, maybe like a 1 a.m. And somebody's ordering a pizza to the team hotel. What are the odds that some person staying at that hotel is ordering a pizza at 1 a.m.? They're probably going to assume that it was someone on the Bulls whether it was Scott Burrell or Michael Jordan, who knows. But I think, I think their goal was to get someone. And if, if the story is true, that they, five guys showed up and they're looking around to see who was getting the pizza, that makes perfect sense. Because why would they have guys go to look, look around and see, oh, who ordered the pizza if you know, it's not poisoned? Or if they're not trying to see who's actually getting the pizza. That is so interesting. So I had no, I had no idea. I thought he just gotten sick. Um, yeah, it it's um, it's definitely a weird thing. And obviously, everyone's heard the conspiracy that, oh, he was hungover. I've I've a lot of things to say about that. But, I mean, yeah, go for it. Unless, I mean, I mean. What, what are your thoughts on the conspiracy that he was hung over?
0: I didn't actually even know there was a conspiracy that he was hung over. I, I was not – I guess I just, uh, you know, when I heard the flu game, I just actually thought he had just had the flu and just didn't. Got gotcha. you. He was sick, and he just played and he balled out. I, I, that's all I had really known. I never
1: looked into it. Yeah, so we, we had this discussion last night before you had hopped on a lot of people thought that you know it was just he's michael jordan he was hung over he'd been drinking a lot the night before and he was just hung over i think if you're in los angeles for example it's going to you know that might have a lot more merit he might have been able to sneak out somewhere go go to a club casino something and party that night but they were in salt lake city there were Three guys in a room. Yeah. What are the odds that he had like, drank too much? A guy who has been a known drinker, cigar smoker, partier, what are the odds that he just drank too much on like a random weekday night in Park City, Utah? And I think that the location and timing of everything does have some relevant importance to kind of emphasize the fact that there's not really anything that Michael Jordan would be attracted to. It's not like Atlantic City, for example, is a
0: few-hour
1: drive away where he can just go gamble till, you know, 2 a.m. or whatever people said.
0: So, right, and I don't think he's going to – I get he did it in the playoffs against the Knicks. I don't think he's going to do anything even like anything close to that. In the NBA Finals, when it's the end of his career, he's trying to cement that he's the greatest of all time. You know, he's going to be driven. Like, yeah, he's, he might be up late and want a pizza, but I see that as a much more realistic thing than he was out on the town. That seems like a much more Dennis Rodman type thing, like sneaking away to Ann Arbor during the finals and going to oh WWE, but that's so interesting. Do you know what this reminds me of, though, James? What is it? Do you remember, do you know the story about the original Ronaldo soccer player, the Brazilian one? Yeah. Do you know the story about his World Cup? When something sort of similar like happened to him, why why don't you enlighten me and Carla? yeah, I can enlighten the I can enlighten the viewers. So Ronaldo, not Cristiano Ronaldo, as many people know, there is a there is a perhaps more famous and better Ronaldo uh, who played for Brazil uh, in the nineties and in nineteen ninety eight. Oh, that's weird. It's the same year. I didn't even realize that nineteen ninety eight. Brazil were in the World Cup final set to face France Um, and Ronaldo was the best player on this Brazilian team. He was a striker scored a ton of goals, was going to win the golden boot for most goals scored in the World Cup tournament. One of the best players in the world. Um, He was all of a sudden left off of the team sheet for the final of the World Cup and people were very, very confused and Basically, people were trying to figure out why, you know, he was this great player was trying about to miss one of the biggest games of his career. So, basically, what ended up happening is moments before the game, he was put back on the team sheet, played the game, and played one of his had one of his worst performances. Uh, They lost three nothing to France, and France won the World Cup that day. Um, And what was interesting is it it came out that Ronaldo had had a fit in the team hotel the night before the game and basically like a fit is kind of like, like a seizure type thing. So something had happened to him and uh, it was reported that a couple of his teammates had to go into his room and basically like perform CPR and like save his life. And the conspiracy is that Ronaldo at the time was getting, you know, uh, big endorsements from Nike. So, what people think is the reason why he was all of a sudden forced to play in the World Cup final was because Nike was paying him so much money and they ordered him that he play in this game despite having a seizure the night before and being clearly you know damaged mentally by the like incident and stuff obviously he had to have you know CPR performed on him it's not you know a thing that you're gonna just get over and play in a massive game right away so. It's a little more crazy of a of a theory than I think what happened to Jordan but um basically the theory is that Nike forced Ronaldo to play in this championship because they were paying him so much money despite him having a
1: seizure. That's interesting. Oh, uh, I think there you can definitely find some parallels, but I think like my biggest takeaway from both the conspiracy theories is that there's enough people that would have been involved in either one where somebody would have had to whistle blow in the last 25 years, 22 years. Yeah. You're telling me that Jordan's personal trainer, first of all, is going to let him get so drunk where, you know, a known drinker, Michael Jordan, would have been hung over the next day for the game. Mm-hmm and plus there there there'd be so many executives and scandals involved like nike would be involved with that i'm if that were true i'd be shocked if nothing had came out in any sort of form about that by now
0: yeah I, I don't disagree with you
1: i just thought it was it just made me think of it that was a really long-winded story um but it's just I made like, it just made me think of it um interesting that it happened the same year 98 yeah it is a little weird isn't it
0: because there's also another more far-fetched rumor that it wasn't nike but that he had actually been poisoned and that's why he had the seizure that's interesting yeah so anyway we're getting conspiracy conspiracy theories on this on this show now is basically what this I did that is. Last time too yeah um so you had i think another topic i have you know one more thing and might, we might again be thinking the same thing but
1: yeah, you, uh, you kind of you stole my thing there with ah, the right. you know pizza deal. But, no, I definitely think it was good to touch on. it. What's up with Utah pizza? Who knows?
0: Yeah, man. Don't trust it, I guess. All right. So, to close us off, what do you have? So, I wanted to touch on another member of the Bulls and now coach of the Golden State Warriors, Steve Kerr, because I think, for me, this was one of the most touching stories of the entire series. Um it was once again a thing. I guess I'm just in the dark when it comes to sports. I'm clearly not uh professional enough to do any of this, but um the the story of Steve Kerr and his dad uh was just I think it was super cool, it was really well told. I had no idea that um Steve Kerr's dad was, you know, like a minister and did all that those really cool humanitarian things. I had no idea that he passed away during the NBA season. Um, And so I just wanted to like mention that. I thought it would give me a lot of, you know, there was, I was seeing a lot of things. I was a little behind when I was watching. um, because I started late and I was looking at Twitter while I was watching. People were like, you can't not hate Steve Kerr now after what, after, you know, this documentary. And I was like, Oh, I wonder why. And then I saw it and I was like, you really can't. It was,
1: it was pretty cool to like see
0: is to hear like the Steve Kerr story.
1: Yeah. Poor Steve Kerr too. Like, he gets a lot of hate for the, the Warriors team, but I guess I've never really hated him or disliked him as a player or coach. I Just me and Kevin Durant just don't, you know, click together for whatever reason. Steve Kerr, poor, poor guy. His dad died basically fighting for his country. He mm-hmm. died, his dad died for his country. And in the middle of his basketball career, murdered in for whatever political statement that they're trying to make in Beirut and uh oh same okay. thing with, yeah it was while he was at Arizona wasn't it? I said in the middle of an NBA season I forgot he was he was still in college. And uh same thing with Michael Jordan. Obviously his dad was murdered to try to make some sort of political statement in a sense of you know take that Michael Jordan whatever. But also I thought it was definitely agree with you on the whole Steve Kerr thing. Never realized that before. Feel bad for the guy. Yeah, but, I mean, it's, it's cool how he, like, just fought through and he knew that his dad would want him to just be
0: successful. Yeah. He was.
1: Yeah. For, for, for Pete. Yep. All, all a time, all-time NBA three-point shooting percentage leader. If that's on that, you got anything else for us? I don't think so. I think we've
0: summed it up pretty well. If you haven't watched the documentaries, we basically just spoiled it for you. You don't need to watch them anymore.
1: No, definitely go back and watch them because yeah. they're very, especially seven, eight, nine, and 10. You can skip the first six, I guess. If you don't know anything about Michael Jordan, you should probably watch all of them. It'll make it. Probably get out from under the rock you're living under first. <laughs> all right. may have to cut that. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, if, if that'll wrap us up, why don't you take us home?
0: Yeah. So uh, thanks for, thanks for listening. So that'll, I mean, do it, I guess for our coverage of um, the Michael Jordan documentaries, hopefully um, we'll have, you know, some other stuff to talk about if people produce some more content or if sports starts to come back, we can switch back more to current events, but we've got some ideas in the works uh, for looking at some of some all time teams we might create and some, player goat discussions and debates that we are looking to have with some other guys coming on the podcast in the near future. So just stay tuned, Uh, stay safe, stay positive. Hopefully this all be over soon.
1: Wear a mask. Wear a mask when you go outside, please. Please don't kill my grandma. She'll be very sad. Yeah, that would not be good.
0: And yeah, uh, have a good whatever day this goes up. Hopefully later today on Wednesday, but Either way, enjoy the nice weather.
1: It's really nice for the first time near where I live at least. Same, same with Chicago. It's finally sunny after three days of rain. We yeah. set the record for most rainfall in May for the third year in a row now. Nice. Congratulations. It sucks. I hate this weather.
0: <laughs> yeah, the rain's not fun. But, yeah, that'll wrap it up for us. So uh, we hope you enjoyed and take care.